my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Hello and welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit, DIY punk and nothing else. <laughs> Brought to you by Sham City Roosters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. <laughs> and I'm Siobhan. <laughs> and welcome to episode 49. This is the part three of our lo-fi culture series, inverted commas, that we've been doing over the past uh, three episodes. And this one is about film and visual media. So in a way... It is also about trashy movies. Today, for one time. As I was about to say. So my brain was actually cleverer than my brain. No, Your brain was cleverer than your brain. Your (laughs) mouth was cleverer than your brain. My mouth is very rarely cleverer than my brain. Well, it's probably probably just as clever. I think they're both doing pretty poor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're certainly down there. Talking about noises, i.e. my mouth. Um... (laughs) We're going to just give you a quick update on the sub-geniuses next door. Oh, God, they are making such a racket. <laughs> just in case you hear any noise. Still, it's still going on. Still. If you've been listening to our recent episodes, you'll know that some members of the church of the sub-genius <laughs> are banging through. Actually, I don't think it is the sub-geniuses anymore. Because the I van's, seen that van the van's not been around, but no. I would say that a new van has replaced it, and it kind of looks like a white version of the eighteen van. Yeah, it's good. And it's I good. Feel a little bit like it might just be the sub geniuses again, but just In with disguise, a different van. But not a very good disguise. That other van was so good, but they are still making the same level of noise. So apologies if you hear random banging, drilling, and just general noise in the background. Sometimes it's kind of in it. time. It suddenly comes and it's like. <laughs> Do you think they're just making industrial music next door? <laughs> I'd love it if they were. <laughs> like new buttons just pulled up next door and they're doing the new new project called 31. Subgenius 31 being the, the number of the house. Yeah, That's that very obscure to the yeah, listener, I, I think. I know. Well, I was going to say the full address and I was like, I don't think I'm going to tell our, our address over the, over, the, over the radio. Well, here's some nice noise. That very is not nice made noise. by any subgeniuses. Actually, they could well be subgeniuses. I don't fucking know. All the better to them if they are, but we love you all the same if you're not. Well, it goes for everyone. Everybody, whether you're a sub-genius or not, we yeah, love you. So much love. But you should also be a sub-genius. Yeah, definitely. Go back and listen to that episode and then decide that you want to be a sub-genius. Uh, but this is by a band called Sectarian Bloom, who are from California. It's a bit different to stuff we would play normally. I would Ooh. describe this as kind of sounding a bit like 80s goth, and Ooh, I really yes, like a bit of 80s goth we myself. Love 80s goth. Uh, I think I'm getting into it more and more. On the down low. Growing into your... Growing into my goth. Into growing goth. into my black lipstick. Yeah. Uh, this is from their cassette New Spring, which is out now via Transylvanian Tapes. Oh, so you know it's good. And that is fucking great, this. So this is Sectarian Bloom with Western Nights.
everyone in the highlights of the news this Thursday. Breaking news is part of this job. You are fake news. News. This is what's happening in your world well, in a slightly more serious topical slant to what we normally start these oh. news stories with. Oh. Well, I say serious. Oh, okay. <laughs> US Ooh. Air Force say it's just a coincidence that a jet drew a penis in sky above Russian airbase. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, you had me at serious. <laughs> the US military says it was purely a coincidence that one of their jets drew a penis above a Russian airbase after claims it was a direct act of humiliation towards Vladimir Putin. <laughs> the cheeky flight pattern carried out by an air force pilot was merely a mistake officials said it came after the naughty drawing took place just days before the crazed leader launched his invasion on ukraine oh aviation's enthusiasts spotted the unusual marks left by the movements of kc-135 aerial tanker flying near the base of tartus syria on wednesday the plane firmly looped in the waters connecting cyprus and lebanon forming an oval shape before creating two smaller circles at the base now by the look of this map which we will share on instagram uh, they've gone round and round this penis quite a few times. I think it's not—it's not just—it's not just, it's not just a, an accident. It does look like they've made the shaft. I would say they've gone round the shaft about four times, and then oh. and round the bollocks maybe twice. And it has made a perfect cock above Cyprus. <laughs> what a beautiful cock above Cyprus! <laughs> Which sounds above, like a sounds like an eighties goth song. Cock above Cyprus <laughs> could be a pub name. Beautiful cock above Cyprus. Oh, that does sound like a goth. Yeah, an 80s goth song. But you just cock it. above Cyprus. Yeah, that's definitely a bub. The cock above Cyprus. It's funny how one word can change something from a goth band, beautiful to, cock above Cyprus. just an English pub. To just an, a lovely old English pub, cock above if Cyprus. If you put the, the cock above Cyprus, then I'd it, is, then it is a pub. Would you call it the cock? You would, wouldn't you? Would you would the cock, the cock. Do you think these soldiers were aiming to make a penis, Siobhan? 100%. <laughs> I mean, there's no way in hell imagine, that this was an accident, is there? Can you there? imagine that, that meeting now, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> We've had a report from, you know, Mr. Russian over the way. and he's Aaron annoyed. is a very specific name for a pilot. <laughs> first one i thought of. Yeah, it's very strange going with it all right yeah you should aaron yeah aaron the pilot old, old putin yeah he's been down the he had a look out the window had the w- look out the window he saw what you done he, he saw I just for the record Siobhan, i don't think putin looked out of his window <laughs> and saw a plane riding around and was, had such good eyes that he could tell it was making a cock and balls <laughs> i don't think that's quite you do have to see this on the computerized map Oh, you have okay. to be an aviation All right, uh, Aaron. enthusiast. Aviation enthusiast Peter has been talking <laughs> oh, to Putin. Yeah. All right, okay. And he's they're, they're a bit pissed off. Did you do a cock and balls? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right if you did. We just need to know because he's getting a bit pissed off. No. I suppose Putin wouldn't have much of a sense of humour about a cock and balls above Cyprus. I feel. Well, I think he would take that as a direct attack if someone was <laughs> drawing penises above places where he was at. Um, if, if I was a leader yeah. of the free world... <laughs> you could, you're a leader of your free world. I think I would find that incredibly amusing. If someone went over one of my islands and made a penis with his plane, I think that would yeah. be wonderful. I think I'd give him a medal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would probably reunite. I'd, I'd call off any... I mean, I wouldn't be doing offensive things, but I think I'd call it all off and be like, you know what? Fair play. We're all friends here. 
Yeah, or offensive things as in having a war. Like wars, I thought yeah. you meant like making penises with a plane. No, 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 that's the kind of offence I can get behind. You should just have like drawing wars and be like, who can draw the funniest thing in the sky? Oh, War you, would be way you've, better. You've drawn the best cock. Do you know what? You can have that island. That is literally how, that is exactly how all skirmishes should be, yeah. should be like dealt with. Draw your best penis. Send your best pilot over my airspace and draw like anything they want they just have to draw something it could be like tony hart or something like drawing some sort of like uh, bob ross yeah. drawing some sort of beautiful thing above the in the skies of or, russia or like countries that should have those you know art attack where you do big pictures and nearby you don't know what it is and then you have to go into a drone or, or a plane yeah, exactly to see how good it is exactly like this plane with a cock every yeah. um country should do one of them and then whoever wins just owns the world Pretty much, yeah. Isn't there a Rick and Morty episode where they just basically have a a singing competition? A bit like Eurovision, but like really... Oh, yeah. And like they blow up your planet if your song's shit. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it'd be a bit like that. Except, you know, no blowing up planets. Just just love, really. Just love. Oh, love. Speaking of love... Police probe after faeces left in a box for Tory MP. (laughs) Um, Police have launched an investigation after a box of poo was addressed to a Tory MP and left outside her office. The box was found outside Siobhan Bailey's constituency office. Poor Siobhan, you can see why I was interested in this. Inside, a message was scrawled, If you won't clean your own shit, why should I? (laughs) And... And... In the other half of the container, the person had drawn an arrow to the excrement with the comment, our government. (laughs) (laughs) Bailey said that it was the latest in many attempts to intimidate and harass herself and staff and that the the police are taking the incident of harassment very seriously. Bailey condemned the nastiness, said there are plenty of ways to make a point about politics or government without resorting to putting excrement in a box. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I don't actually think that there's a problem with this. I do sort of agree with what she said, though. It's not yeah. really making a point about politics, I suppose. <laughs> but news. she has also changed the narrative quite considerably mm-hmm. from someone who just wants to leave a poo on an arsehole's doorstep yeah. into, oh, they're not making a very good uh, comment on politics. Yeah, oh no. I don't o- think that's what they're trying to do. Obviously a thicko. I think, well, they probably are a thicko. They've left a poo in a box <laughs> at someone's house. I don't think they are fully engaged in the political process, but I don't think Probably that's not. the point. <laughs> They've written the, the name Siobhan on top of this burger box that clearly has poo inside it. Um, and the writing looks suspiciously like yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just must have delivered it to the wrong address. It was going to you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that I have missed a harassment by a small amount, but thank you for the box of poo that I didn't receive. <laughs> Sorry, was it in a burger box, like one of those plastic burger boxes from a fast food joint? It is, but in fairness, it is clearly a recyclable one. Oh, so good. There you go. You know, yeah, it's a, a biodegradable point. box. It's it must biodegradable be one of these people box. that's gluing themselves to the M25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Oh, well, Siobhan Bailey, sorry you received my poo. <laughs> Not my poo. I don't mean that I sent that poo. I just mean it may have been meant for me. I hope it wasn't meant for me, but it does look like Dave's handwriting. So it sounds like it me. might have been one of my poos. <laughs> that you've posted that all the way saying? to Australia. Oh, I don't know if it was on your poos. I haven't. You haven't um, checked it. <laughs> would, what are you going to check for? I, d- I don't Last know night's dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not lasagna. Carry on. <laughs> uh, well, talking about last night's dinner, which I'm just going to use as a metaphor for masturbation. Even nuns watch <laughs> porn, says the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> 
This man's strange. I'm not surprised the Pope is strange, but he says some funny things. I think some of this might be in the translation, but still. Even nuns and priests watch online pornography, Pope Francis has admitted, in an unusual admonishment of the Catholic clergy. Indulging in porn is a danger to the soul and a way of succumbing to the malign influence of the devil, the Pope warned an assembly of priests and seminarians in Rome. It's a vice that many people have, many lay people, but also priests and nuns. The devil enters from there. (laughs) Very strangely worded. That's what he told the gathering. And I'm not just talking about criminal pornography. Like, that would be the first thing people think of when you say (laughs) pornography. (laughs) Involving the abuse of children, where you see live cases of abuse, that is already degenerate. I'm talking about normal pornography, my dear brothers and sisters. Be careful. A person with a pure heart should not be looking at porn, he said. If you can cancel it from your phone, then cancel it. Then you won't have temptation in your hand, he continued. (laughs) I would suggest it's the other hand where the temptation might come from. (laughs) But I did find this a bit strange. I suppose if you're the Pope, you're so separate from society and reality that if you hear about this thing, which is online porn, you hear that then... In your brain, I suppose you probably, like, you give it some thought, you sit down, you might Mm. pray, you might talk to the Lord Jesus Christ about it. What do I do about this porn? But you don't really understand Mm. what, like, pornography is. Like, the suggestion that people would just figure (laughs) he was talking about, like, abuse. Well... you know, like, well, of course, yeah, he made the the, 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 the the Pope doth protest too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Do you think the Pope has a phone? Oh, Jesus. Does the Pope uh, have a mobile phone? ShamCityRoses at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Pope have a phone? He's got to have a phone. He's an important man, isn't he? He's probably got like slaves and things, though, isn't he? You've got yeah, phones for him. Someone just passes me. It's a bit like I bet the Queen didn't have a phone. Oh, gee. Do you think the Queen ever took a selfie? Do you think Shit. the Pope ever took a selfie? No. Do you think the Pope has looked at online porn for the first time, got excited about it, then obviously felt in that way you know, that people do? Whipped he felt himself like, with the flagellation yeah, stick or whatever he it is. He thought, oh my God, I've let the devil in. And then just that day, that was just what was on his mind. And he thought, well, I'm going to tell everyone about this. I'm not going to tell them I've been looking at the porn. No, I'm no, just no, no. going to. So I've heard. So I've heard. He is wearing a little hat that looks like a bell end. <laughs> Speaking of a little hat, and it'll become clear, hopefully, I'm just <laughs> using it using it as a link. It's probably not one. English woman's phobia of Scots accent makes her feel sick when she hears it. <laughs> if I hear a Scottish accent, I literally start to panic. <laughs> I think there's a horrible trauma story here, but we'll keep going. A woman who is terrified of Scottish accents has revealed the fear is so severe it causes her to experience heart palpitations and nausea. Kirsty Baker has even turned down dates because of her irrational fear <laughs> and winces at the sound of the Celtic twang. Hmm. I don't know if you've been turning down dates, dear. Um, going to extreme lengths to avoid it at all costs, the 32-year-old from Hampshire switches off the TV and radio as soon as she hears the accent and has been doing so since she was a child. Really, I, I have skimmed along. I don't think there's a trauma here, but I am going to keep going and I'm a bit worried that she's been hurt by a Scottish man in the past. <laughs> But we'll see. Kirsty first became averse to the accent when she was 10 years old while attending a boat show with her parents. A man on stilts sporting a Scottish tam-o'-shanter hat 
There was the hat link, by the way. Mm -hmm. And a red wig approached her. She says the man started speaking in a thick accent and the way he looked and sounded just terrified me. I ran behind and hid behind my parents. (laughs) And since then, I've been so scared of Scottish voices. Recently, Kirsty was in the supermarket when a customer started talking in a thick Scottish accent. She was so petrified, she dumped her shopping in the aisle and fled. (laughs) Jesus, Lord. The phobia affects her dating life too. She'll avoid men whose online profiles say they live in Scotland. I mean, you're in Hampshire, so... Yeah, it doesn't seem... Scotland seems seems silly to you anyway. Yeah. Um, Also, Scottish people live in Hampshire. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I've had a few men message me online, and the moment I find out they're from Scotland, I ask if they're Scottish, and if they are, I explain my phobia. And I bet they they hang around. I mean, isn't this just outright racism? If you replace Scottish with almost any other nationality... That's true. Wouldn't this be a horrific... This would be something that no way anyone would admit to. I mean... (laughs) Let's put it that way. I mean, it is outright... Yeah. This is just a racist person. He doesn't like Scottish people and is making an excuse for a racism. I'm pretty sure if you asked a racist, like, why don't you like this race of people, they would probably say, oh, well, I had a bad experience with one once or some stupid shit or whatever. And that's literally what she's saying. Well, this is, I mean, this is a bit much. People don't realise how triggering it is for me and I have to leave the room. Once I was a fan of David Tennant, but now I can't bear to watch him on TV. (laughs) He had an English accent in Doctor Who and I didn't realise he was Scottish till a few years ago when my mum told me. It's a shame, really, because I liked him. I've never watched Braveheart either because of my fear. (laughs) This woman thinks that she is a victim of Scottish people. Yeah, she does. And she's proud of it. Look how Like, I'll just show David (laughs) the photo. She's very proud of herself. She's not... uh, She does look proud. That's weird. She does look particularly proud in the picture that, that's gone along with this yeah, story. she's extraordinarily proud of her racist fear. Yeah, it's not a Scottish phobia accent, it's just xenophobia and you're a dick. But it is incredible how her attitude towards this, again, keeping in mind that she's just being an outright racist, Yeah, she is acting as if she is the victim oh. of the fact that there is a country that exists that she has taken a disliking to. Yeah. And that is like the maddest sort of modern thinking that yeah. I can possibly think of because if someone says something to you and they mean it in all good faith and you take it in the wrong way, yeah. particularly if you're like fucking dumb, for yeah. example, and you don't understand what they're trying to say, we are now expected to consider ourselves victims of the thing that someone has said, I feel like. That's yeah. kind of like how, the, how our yeah, culture people- is moving. And that makes sense in a way, but if you are the racist... <laughs> How are you a victim of the other race that you don't like? Exactly. How can you describe it in such a way in what I presume is a mainstream news story what? and just get away with it and just get to have your picture there proudly So proud. Smiling. I cannot express to you how proud this woman is to be racist. <laughs> I mean, the bit about the David Tennant thing, like, oh, I thought he was English and then I found out he was Scottish and I hate him now. It's a bit like, oh, I've got a best mate and, and we get on really well and then I found out he's you know any religion yeah. and now i don't like him yeah like or it's exactly the same as my best mate from school married someone of a different race to us and now yeah. i won't talk to her yeah exactly that's the same it's that's the same fundamentally it's just you know what? david Tennant, not not a not a minority <laughs> like this has been a whirlwind because i thought at first funny then i thought shit is this going to be childhood trauma and now fuck you whatever your name was <laughs> you proud xenophobic twat <laughs> Well, talking about xenophobia, I mean, this is perfect linkage. Can you imagine? I mean, perfect did you like linkage. my like hat? There was a hat in that story. I swear. Yeah, to no, that was yeah. Was we've we've done quite well, but um, talking about racists. Okay. Hulk Hogan. <gasps> okay. Uh, has attempted 
on two completely separate occasions to join both the Rolling Stones and Metallica on the bass guitar. What? <laughs> this is the one, of, one of the most insane. So before I read anything about this story, let me be clear. My, I don't know that much about Hulk Hogan. Uh, if you don't, you must. Everyone knows who Hulk Hogan is. He's a famous wrestler from Better. the 80s. He made some terrible movies. Have we done his movies? Uh Ooh, did we do, we did do Santa one. with yeah. muscles? Didn't yeah, we, we did. We did Santa with muscles. So, you're, so really therefore, good. if you're a listener to the show, you know exactly who Hulk Hogan <laughs> is. But he is a massive fucking liar. That's yeah. one thing that Hulk Hogan is very famous for being an absolute liar. liar, as well as a racist. Yeah. Anyhow, this is from a 2014 interview with Vice. So, this isn't new news, but it just happened to come up on something that I read. He uh, he earnestly tried to convince both the Rolling Stones and Metallica to let him join their bands. I was in the UK for some award show, and Jerry Hall, Mick Jagger's old lady, I mean, again, the words of the Hulkster, not the words of me, <laughs> was walking out with me to present this award, he recalled. I heard her talking on the phone to Mick about, oh, you've got to find a bass player, and you've only got two different choices. I went, what? She had already told me that her kids were big fans and she wanted merchandise. So I was like, all right, let's reel her in. I was like, look, I used to play bass. I know all the Rolling Stones songs. Tell Mick if you guys need a bass player for the Rolling Stones. I swear to God I could show up. But Hulk Hogan never heard a word back. Oh, Jagger wasn't into it. (laughs) The same happened when he heard Metallica needed a bassist, which led Hogan to write letters to the band. I mean, keeping in mind, this is at this point. When did they? When did um, Jason Newsted leave? It was a while ago, but it was it like was 2010 back. or something. Uh, like St. Anger was like 2004, oh, I think, and so they had Chudillo yeah. by then. All right, so I suppose me, yeah, write a letter is fine. He <laughs> he even made a tape of himself playing the bass oh. and sent it to their management company, but to no avail. <laughs> Hogan claimed that he spoke to Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich about him joining the band, and Ulrich had no recollection of the conversation <laughs> ever happening. <laughs> Hogan admitted I would have quit wrestling to play in the Rolling Stones or Metallica. Of course you would. It turns out that as a a younger man, (laughs) Hulk Hogan did actually play in rock bands around Florida. I definitely feel like I have seen footage of him playing bass. When you said it, I have... Well, yeah, but that's from like 80s. So in the 80s, WWF made a record. They had a single out. That was called something, I can't remember, it was called like Slam Bang or something. And Hulk Hogan was like the biggest star at the time. So he was obviously, I think he might have done a rap halfway through. Oh gosh. I mean, it was that kind of, it was really tacky shit. And they released, they definitely released an album. So there's a video where they're all pretending to play instruments. And so he would have probably had a bass guitar in that. Maybe, But I don't think you will have ever seen him actually play anything. I'm not sure I've even seen that either. One other thing to note is that Hulk Hogan did guest vocal on... Green Jelly's cover of Do You Want to Be in My Gang? Oh, yes, he does! He does! (laughs) Which is a banger. It's really good. You know, there's a lot of problematic aspects to it, but it's a fucking good song. There we go. Green Jelly, if you don't know who they are, you should. Green Jelly were kind of like the pop version of Guar, who uh, released that song Three Little Pigs, which was a huge hit. It went to number one in the chart show charts. And if you haven't heard it for a number of years and you sort of write it off and think, ah, Green Jelly are a load of rubbish, I would encourage you to go on YouTube immediately and listen to it because it turns out it's a fucking banger. Fucking bang bang. But if you if you don't mind typing in the words, do you want to be in my gang, <laughs> to your YouTube playlist, I would also very much recommend Hulk Hogan and Green Jelly's version of that. I wonder how that came to be, how they got to be in touch with each other. Capitalism. Oh, dear. Shame, shame, shame. shame. <laughs> I have no good link to my next story, so I'm <laughs> so, just going to go with it. 
Smash cut. Smash cut. <laughs> the Somerset ghost, which tells people who visit Quantock Hills beauty spot to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's my sort of ghost. Yes, yeah, it's a great ghost. <laughs> the ghoul is said to be a woman in white who apparently tells people to leave in no uncertain terms. <laughs> Legend has it that an angry ghoul shouts and swears at visitors to Dead Woman's Ditch, a beauty spot on Somerset's Quantock Hills. Ghost hunters have in fact been to the location where the potty mouth ghost is. And there appears to be a woman in white that apparently tells people to fuck off. I hope that the ghost hunter that went is that fucking guy in his muscle vest who goes to various gyms that used to be hospitals and says that he's being spooked by him because I'd love to tell him to fuck off. Well, no, it's a, <laughs> it's a ghost hunting couple oh. with uh, curious names of Christine and Dave. Oh. Your mum's name and your name. <laughs> I've not been on a ghost hunting trip <laughs> with my mother. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? And they launched an investigation into the paranormal being in 2020. Christine claims she was shouted at and told to fuck off by the nasty evil spirit. Yeah, fuck off, mum. Yeah, fuck off, mum. <laughs> um, she says he, she and her husband Dave picked up on the voice before rudely being told to leave. The pair claim to have had other encounters there with the ghost of a murderer from 1798. Dave said at the time there is definitely something there. My wife has experienced it for a long time and there are... Two voices. Sorry, his wife has experienced someone telling her to fuck off for, <laughs> in his words, a long time. <laughs> There's two voices. <laughs> Definitely not me. <laughs> There's the residual memories being replayed, which people pick up on without being able to communicate with it. Then there are voices you can interact with, which you can have an exchange with, and they can answer questions. Quantocks sound amazing. Mm. Not all, but some can be very nasty evil spirits, and not everybody is aware of ghosts. That's because some people have weaker barriers than others and are more likely to cross one. So it's just like, actually, it's some people's fault that they just can't see them. Some people are just weak and get told to fuck off by ghosts. <laughs> he really is just horrible to his mum. There's just basically loads of ghosts happening in this area, but I would quite like to go there and be told to fuck off by a ghost. <laughs> Dead woman's ditch. That's a lovely sound in I'd love to be told to fuck off by a ghost. <laughs> I can just hide in the other room and tell you to fuck off every now and then. Well, that wouldn't be the same. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do that anyway <laughs> oh i love it i love it i want ghosts to exist and i want them to tell me to fuck off well another thing that i think it's fair to say at this point that we would love to exist is a time traveler Whee! particularly a time traveler based on tiktok <laughs> now we've done an awful lot of these tiktok trying time traveler stories on this podcast and I, do and I wasn't really going to do another one but this is quite interesting okay because this time traveler who is from 2671 has named dates and I'm going to put these dates in my diary and okay. I plan on coming back to this story as time goes on. <laughs> a man who claims to be a time traveller from 2671 has warned seven people will mysteriously fall from the sky in June next year despite no planes flying in the area. Ooh. Eno Alaric who what posts on TikTok under the username Radiant Time Traveller. He's radiant. He's radiant as fuck. He's amassed more than 26,000 followers because there's loads of mentally ill people in the world. In his latest video, Eno wrote, June 18, 2023, seven people mysteriously fall from the sky, but there was nothing flying in that area. He also wrote, attention, I am a time traveller from the year 2671, and I am here to warn you about these five dates to come. Okay. Now, one of them is very soon. Okay. On November the 30th, 
which yeah. uh, the time of recording is about 20 days away, mm-hmm. the James Webb Telescope discovers a planet that is a mirrored version of Earth. Ooh. January the 1st, 2023, a plane flying over the Bermuda Triangle goes missing. Oh, my God. So he's got That's an original. awful... He's got a lot of imagination, <laughs> He's boy. watched Danger Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> March the 3rd, 2023, a message is received all around the world that seems to have come from the ocean. <laughs> and May the 15th, 2023, Your my birthday. birthday, a 750-foot mega tsunami <laughs> hits the California coast, mainly San Francisco. <laughs> we were going to go to <laughs> California for my can- birthday, so we'll see. Maybe we won't now, <laughs> fuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, that would freak me out a tiny bit. Oh, pussy, I want to go there specifically <laughs> to see if a mega tsunami <laughs> hits me <laughs> on my birthday. <laughs> He's previously shared information about these twin planets with Earth, alien visitors, and even portals opening to other times. Obviously, these warnings have been met with doubt from social media no, users. Really? Why is it always bad news? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> if he come from the future, he should be able to tell us how to get rich over the next few months. What? A third what? wrote, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Soz, mate, you barking up the wrong tree. A lot of people thought he was uh, real. I know this ain't real, but I want the first one, Earth's twin planet, to be real. If they land at my place, I'll happily make them scones and a pot of tea. Oh, he was a lot of fun, that one. <laughs> what a joy. And a further user wrote, Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Finally some excitement in this world. <laughs> I don't think it's excitement to be lied to. Anyhow. <laughs> or, a, or a 750 foot mega tsunami. <laughs> That's the excitement oh. we want. Pure devastation. Uh, that is the excitement that I want. That's why we're going to California <laughs> in May of next year. Anyhow, ma- November 30th, I reckon by the time we record our next episode. I'm sorry, that's seven people falling out of the sky. No. That's the James Webb Telescope discovers a planet that's okay. a mirrored version of Earth. Oh, and some people want that sky is but June next year. Yeah, it's June okay, next okay, year. Okay, okay. So uh, I'm going to keep an eye on these dates. I'm going to bore you all with it. Yeah. Well, unless they all happen. Imagine if, if they any, all happen. I was about to say, imagine how different the episode is going to look if that first one happens. <laughs> and we're like, holy shit, guys, for the last two years we have been shitting on these people and now we are on the edge. We think it's happening. Well, we're not on the edge. If, they, if the first one happens, then they're all happening. That's my opinion. Jesus. Imagine just another version of Earth existing. I mean, that's like well out of any sort of reality that we could ever happen. Well. And so if it actually happened on November 30th, 2022, yeah. then I'm joining this person's religion. <laughs> he, he hasn't start- started one, we'll but I'll start, start one, for, one him. for him. Yeah. Well, there's got to be a bit of Earth somewhere. One, an Earth-like place. You know. No, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy. Don't look at me like that. There's thousands and millions and trillions and there's too much out there. I'm sure there's another version. No, I'm yeah. not saying there's like another Earth and another you and me sitting somewhere else what, in the podcast. That's not Keep in mind that's what a mirrored Earth looks like. Like maybe it doesn't have the people on it, but a mirrored version of Earth would oh, mean that there's like there's the Africa UK is the UK. there. And, oh, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. There's a Scotland. No. So that woman would have a horrible time if she went there. <laughs> She had to deal with all those Scottish people. Is there another ghost in the Quantocks as well telling people to fuck off? Get off this planet as well. You can fuck off back to your own one. Said the horrible Scottish people as well. Talking about fucking back to your own one, here's Norfolk News. (laughs) So I think Norfolk News is probably going to change a little. We're coming up to episode 50. Mm Mm-hmm. 
where we're, you know... You've done time. 49 Norfolk News. Uh, are people not fucking sick of it yet? <laughs> oh, I don't know. But... How's it going to change? Well... You're going to change your accent. Is it going to become Scottish news? <laughs> you don't want that because I don't, I don't... I could barely do a Norfolk accent. <laughs> you really don't want me to even try and do any other accents that come out a bit... Uh, they'll come out as one and that ain't good. So I think I'm just going to start picking nice things about Norfolk news in general so not current news mm-hmm. but sometimes like, i was looking through a few parish newsletters and they're just full of joy <laughs> <laughs> what a life <laughs> what a life um but that takes some research and uh, you know i was thinking about this this morning so what i have found it is a beautiful thing preparation as ever yeah. on the breakfast punks podcast as always <laughs> i found something that's quite nice and it gives me a little bit of credibility to when i make up words Oh. Because there is a website called Fond, which is Friends of Norfolk Dialect. Oh. And that's and it's called Fond and I just fucking love this. They've got an A to Z of different words and dialecty things, um, which help you understand what Norfolk people are saying. You bought me a fridge magnet with some of these on them once. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit I like lost that. I lost it, I think. Terrible. You lost I, it. I didn't care for the present that's, at all. That's like you don't even fucking care. <laughs> And I'm just gonna re- I'm gonna read a few out and see if you know what it means. So I've got Duzzy. 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 What do you think Duzzy stands for? It presumably isn't just does he. Us not, but you are. That was a good. That's a good understand. Yeah, I know. It that will make more, a more sense in a uh, in a sentence. Would you like it in a sentence? Yes, please. You Duzzy woman, you. <laughs> <laughs> Did, was that was the word after does he woman? Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Um uh can't concentrate. Awesome. Like um, nearly, I can't nearly. think of the word dizzy, you know. I like. think I think you might be right. Ask got silly or stupid written down. Oh, I, well, I wasn't gonna say that. No. <laughs> well they've said <laughs> you it. Stupid woman. They said it. And um I think that mean dizzy, but said wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is what I mean. You can yeah, say no, things I wrong know. and yeah, they're right. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Um <laughs> a ding. Uh is it an idea? No, but that would be very good. Mother, I didn't half ding my lug. Uh, hit, to be hit. A sharp blow, a cuff. One is hit by one's mother. There you go. <laughs> uh, there's a tahar and hacker. Tahar and hacker? Tahar and hacker. Tahar and hacker. Um, or har and hacker, but it's a verb. Is 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 it an and? Is the n an and? Yeah. Is it two things? It's two things. Tahar and hacker. To pick something up and throw it. As to stutter. Hacker. Oh right. Okay. Uh, hold you hard. <laughs> is that a sex thing? No. no. <laughs> I'm gonna no. still. I'm gonna say it's a sex thing. Nah. Listen a minute. Or hang on a moment. Okay. Uh, like hold you hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the her. On course, the her is is wonky. Wonky. That wall you built is on the her. Uh, hitch up. Hitch up. Is that just like picking up your dress so it doesn't get wet? Well, that would make some sort of sense, but no. Uh, hitch up, boy. There'd be room for me on that hall there, little seat. Pardon me. <laughs> what a fucking sense. Uh, so move, move sidewards make so that room. I can also fit on the seat of your <laughs> car. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. That is right. Sometimes Norfolk does this, and I fucking love it. Master or masterous. So it's got nothing to do with actually being like a master. Well, it, a isn't, it is a little bit. It's basically Master, Norfolk it? does this thing where it takes a word that is an actual word 
Like probably a bit above their station and uses it, but so a little out of turn. Is is what well, is master above someone's station? I think probably most people should right. be able to say that. Is masterous like being good at something? Yeah. Okay. So it's an expression of admiration. So you go, oh, that's a master good old crop potatoes you've done. <laughs> or that's a master's job you made of that there fence. <laughs> See, that's nice. Sometimes it's nice, it's, it? we dumb stuff down and sometimes we inappropriately use proper words. I like it. Again, I don't know why you think the word master is so highfalutin. It is pretty highfalutin. <laughs> is it? Pod? What do you reckon pod is? It's someone's house. That's a belly or a gut. Oh, oh. that slus, he's got a right pod on him. <laughs> Oh, this is nice. I didn't know this one. A polywiggle. A polywiggle? Um, a pig. Oh, no. It feels like it would be a pig. Well, use it, it in does. a sentence, please, Siobhan. Oh, I can't use this one in a sentence. It just is what it is. Oh, polywiggle. Uh, it does kind of uh, sound um, like what it is. A uh, rat's tail. Oh, no, that would be <laughs> nice. That's a tadpole. Oh, That's a polywiggle. Nice. I like it. A puckateri. A puckateri? Yeah. Is that a man called Terry's... Um, penis, no. the puck, the puck of Terry. <laughs> no, it means he's in a muddle or a bit of a temper. Yeah. Uh, putting on parts. Putting on parts one. must be getting fat or something, surely. <laughs> that's misbehaving or drawing attention to oneself. No, uh, that's no good. You were putting on parts because you ain't having no koshies, and that's final. What's a koshie? A sweet. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Even the sentences you're using these words in have loads of words that no one will understand. <laughs> I do understand. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, these are a few that could probably describe what I'm doing. Spuffle. Spuffle. Yeah. Uh, being confused. That's to waffle or speak pompously. Oh. He do spuffle, don't he? And, uh, and squit. Squit is surely to shit. Like, no. you shit yourself, isn't That's it? That's Norfolk nonsense. He talk a load of... Oh, squit. So the, literally the thing you're doing Yeah, now. what I'm doing right now is talking a whole load of squit. Uh, I think we should probably end there. But if you want to look up this really extensive list of Norfolk dialect, then type in Friends of Norfolk dialect into your goggle box. Not goggle box, that's a telly isn't it, nowadays. Into the Googles. And you will get a nice list of uh, things that you can... Speak, try out, start bringing into your normal life. Uh, some of us do it already by accident. And you're for and the the thing in Norfolk is you're forever making up words. It's the intention about what you say, and people will understand you based on the general way that you make your mouth at someone. It does. <laughs> make your mouth at someone. <laughs> do you know what? No, I, I sometimes do this to my friend Annie. She's from Suffolk. I'm from Norfolk. Sometimes we say babble at each other, and we know what we're talking about. And it's a Norfolk... Well, everyone knows what Babel is. An, no, I know that. I mean, we just say things that aren't quite right at each other. But if the intention is there behind the, the word that you say, then it doesn't really matter if the word makes sense. What you're actually describing is two people that aren't really listening to each other and are just making as much noise as they possibly can at each other and then laughing at it. Hey, we sometimes understand what we're saying. Yeah, but sometimes... sometimes you just describe the, oh, yes, No, I'm describing all relationships. <laughs> Most people could make noises at their friends and their friends would laugh along out of politeness. And oh, if they wanted to join in, everyone could do that in a big group. But yeah, that is not language, Siobhan. That's, that's not... Well, is it not? <laughs> no. Is it not? No. It's the intention behind what you say, which is language, I'd say. Well, anyway. that's got more f- philosophical than I was expecting. Gosh, she's talking a whole load of squid, isn't she? <laughs> well, speaking of Norfolk. 
this the first band from Norfolk that we've ever played? No, we must have had another I'm pretty band sure it is the first band from Norfolk. Because there's not many... I'll say this. There's not a lot of... I mean, Norfolk as, as always went... Up. Throughout my life, Yeah, always had an amazing scene. Norwich always had an amazing punk scene. Yeah. And I don't think that it's ha- it has that many bands coming out of it. Certainly, well, not to my knowledge, anyway. Do you know what? It's picking back up by the looks of things. Good, um, because you there found a, a band. <laughs> well, not just this one, but like there are other bands. And there's quite a lot going on in Norfolk. I did notice that there's a, uh, a little anarchist community space in Great Yarmouth now. You know that we were good. thinking of moving there, and we were like, there's nothing there. I think there might be a scene starting. Well, good. I'm glad there's so, a poet from Great thingy Yarmouth. Thingy from uh, Crass went to do a talk there. Yeah. Uh, there's loads of shit going on. Well, there you go. So maybe we can go to Great Yarmouth. This band might have played there, don't know. This band's called Other Half, and this song is called Slab Thick. They're from Norwich. I saw this Slab band. Thick and Norwich slang <laughs> that you just I, been going through. What oh, would I that mean? Know. What would you say if slab you said... Slab Thick, that's how you put on your butter on your toast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. everyone knows that. That is all right. So this song's obviously about butter and toast. Is that actually are you just taking the biz out of me? I don't I've fucking know. Oh, okay, up. right, yeah. But this is what I mean. In Norfolk, if I said slab thick to you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, you lay it on, you fucking put loads on. Like if someone was crying and you were like, oh, she's slabbing it on thick. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not what I'm so is. sorry, other half. <laughs> well, so I know our other half are good because I saw them in uh, Manchester when we went to Garlic Bread Club. And uh, me and Annie were talking to each other in Norfolk dialect again. Go, oh, that's very, very nice in Wyndham. And one of them turned around and went, <laughs> so I thought. <laughs> very good. So someone know. else they understood know. some noises that you were making. <laughs> <laughs> they probably heard the word Wyndham and went, cool, whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, this song is from their forthcoming album, Soft Action. And that's due out in December and it's available to pre-order now. So is this soft is- action Norfolk slang for not being able to get a hard on? <laughs> My friend from Norfolk does say thumbing in a semi quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which might be my favourite phrase I've ever heard <laughs> but I don't think that's what this song is about it's clearly about laying on emotions quick or slabbing on butter on toast or it's about whatever the song is actually about so this is Other Half with Slab Thick
Welcome back to Breakfast Punk's podcast. We're now moving on to our final instalment of our Lo-Fi Culture series that we've done over the last two episodes, this being our third one. And this one's going to be about film and the visual media. We've kind of loosely called it film and visual media because it's not meant to be like feature length films or people that are particularly proficient or well off with their equipment making these films. These are the people just making films with what they got. This is kind of something that we've made up. Yes. In a way, I guess. Or sort of is and sort of isn't. Yeah. And the reason that I say that is that... So on the first episode, we talked about zines and yeah. small presses. And there's no question that there is a lo-fi scene of yeah. people making zines. Yeah. On the second episode, we talked about music. Again, no question that there is a lo-fi scene of people making music. Yeah. But one of the reasons that i thought this would be quite interesting is because on those two episodes the first one we watched the film that was called a hundred dollars and a t-shirt yeah and this uh, which is all about fanzines in the pacific northwest and the second one we watched the film that was called if it ain't punk it ain't cheap which was about planet x records and both of those the films themselves i felt were like an exact example of what we were talking about like what lo-fi is yeah and it got me thinking about this idea of, well, there is such a thing as, like, lo-fi filmmakers. Yeah. It, but, of course, the world of film is so ginormous yeah. that we're not going to be able to talk about everything. No, this is more of a, like, a snippet of things we found along the way that illustrate that idea, I guess. And in a way, we've kind of made a decision as to what, in our opinion... I suppose yeah. <laughs> lo-fi what we're talking about today yeah. is lo-fi visual media is and for us it's something which is made by punks to yeah. some extent or at least punk adjacent in yeah. some way punk adjacent um and is made without money and in the same ways that fanzines are made and uh, and really lo-fi music is made tending to be either like an individual making the film mm-hmm. or a very small group and obviously within film it's very rare that one person can make the entire thing because you need yeah. actors and whatever but initially i thought to myself well this will be an interesting thing because it will just be documentaries we just look at all the punk documentaries mm. that have been made and in a way that's an interesting thing because recently in the last five or ten years there's been so many super pro yeah. documentaries being made about all sorts of absurdly underground music American hardcore probably being the like most famous, but there's been so many that have been made about like the Chicago scene, yeah, or you know this tiny scene somewhere, or this venue, or or even yeah. this band, like you know the Minutemen documentary or whatever. And those documentaries themselves are often talking about what we would describe as DIY yeah, music, like, yeah, but the films themselves are not diy projects do you think it makes it seem as this almost unachievable thing for the regular person to do when they see things like that so you're like oh you want to find out about this band and that band's going to inspire you to do it yourself and do you know do your own thing but you're going to be watching it via the eyes of someone quite professional i don't don't know know. that's 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 a really interesting question because do you feel like it's more achievable and more attainable if it's a shown to you in a bit more of a DIY way? I think that what it possibly does is it makes the very DIY lo-fi actions of people in the past Mm. appear much more professional than they are. Yeah. So I suppose there's two answers to your question. One is that if you were thinking at it from the perspective of becoming a filmmaker, 
Yeah. Are you watching films thinking to yourself, I'd love to make films? Yeah. Then watching American Hardcore is not going to make you think, oh, yeah, I could do I that. Could do- yeah, exactly. Like, not in a million years. So in that context, I think if you look at it from, from a filmmaking perspective, it, it does the exact opposite. Yeah. Right? So, but whereas... It's very interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that from a musical perspective, if you were to watch the documentary about the Minutemen, what it does possibly is it takes away the element of the Minutemen, which was them playing to no one, driving long, you know, not because the film doesn't talk about that stuff, but because it presents people. And almost by default, when you make a documentary about anything, you present people as like this amazing thing yeah this godlike their name comes up they're important thing in a, yeah well no now. but i mean if the film is just about that person yeah here's a film about Gigi allen so, suddenly Gigi allen becomes this kind of legend yeah hmm. and uh, he probably would have been a legend yeah. anyway because he you know his own shit on stage and yeah stuff, exactly <laughs> well i guess so my other um question and we'll get on to the examples that we've picked but music videos People making their own music videos, that could kind of be uh, a version of lo-fi visual media and film. Yeah. But I would say, and and, and another thing I would say, re, um, the attributes of a lo-fi version of that is, again, it feels like something you could do, but I feel like people don't do that so much anymore. And oh, you see people getting music do. videos made quite, I don't know, the, 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 the world that we live in now, even people that aren't very good at making music videos can still make quite pro-looking ones. Yes, so I mean, you know. I mean, fundamentally, we, we, this is probably going to end up being the discussion that we have, uh, because in a similar way to music, yeah. So DIY, when we talked on about DIY music or about lo-fi music in our last episode, one of the things that we were talking about was the fact that it's almost impossible to make lo-fi music if you're using a, even the most basic computer equipment. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. even if you're using your mobile phone and you've got something that you can plug your guitar into, it's going to sound hi-fi in comparison to what you know to older music and that's absolutely true of making film yeah does that take away from the fact that it's a lo-fi project i mean um we've just made a haste video Mm -hmm. um which isn't out yet but will be out soon yeah and uh we all just went and filmed something i won't say what it doesn't really matter but you wait and see it's quite a cool video i think but we all just went on with our phones and we just yeah. filmed something. We all ran around this event. Yeah. And we were filming different things. And then I took them all and just edited them together. Now, yeah. in a lot of ways, that's the most lo-fi way of making films. Yeah. Now, I had a really basic... My editing software is literally what came with my old PC. Yeah. That I have to blow the battery for 20 minutes before oh God, it will turn and if, on. And if we I don't unplugged. mean, like, suck it off. I mean, bl- literally. Bl- <laughs> Please work. <laughs> 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 I'll do anything. <laughs> it's good to got too many right angles. Um, but um, Where, um, no, 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 no. You know, in a lot of ways, that is totally DIY. Yeah. But the actual—I'm not saying the final thing is like amazing or anything. But the, but it—I don't know that I would say that that is a lo-fi piece of filmmaking because the phones that we use, yeah. the cameras are too fucking good. They sorted out all the lighting. They sorted out all of the, oh, really? you know. Uh, well, no, uh, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure everybody watching it will know this is a bunch of yeah, knobs running say, around com- with their phones. And compared to like a pro filmmaker, I bet it's still like got elements of grubbiness. To oh, it's it. not as good. Yeah. No question. And I'm sure like ed- edit- it's ed- going to be edited wrong and all of that sort yeah. of stuff. Because, because, But that's more that I don't know what I'm doing. The point of lo-fi is to not know what you're that, to do. Well, not even necessarily that, is that you could be amazing at that stuff. Yeah. You could be a brilliant editor. But if you choose to do something in a lo-fi fashion 
then you're going to the edits themselves are going to yeah. be perfect. There's not going to be anything wrong with them. Yeah, true. It's not that you're rubbish. It's just that you've chosen to use equipment. So, you know, a lot yeah, of the lo-fi okay. music we talked about last time, it's like incredible musicians but, who yeah. have got really good ears, but they choose to use a four-track and then they fuck around with it and make yeah. something unusual, you know. But I think that we're going to have to ignore music videos for now, although they they can come up a bit later because I think probably that is one of the places. See, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you that like bands aren't making music videos anymore on a, on a lo-fi level. I think that a lot of people just slap their own music videos together. Okay. In the DIY punk scene. A oh, lot of people actually, do. Yeah, no, sorry, I can think of a few yeah. really good ones. I mean, a uh, lot of people do get extremely professional videos made as well. Well, this is the thing, and I, I was wondering if there's this, like, pressure to, with technology being better, for people who, in the past, would have just made their own videos, are people feeling a pressure to have more pro things now? Are people who are still starting out feeling the pressure to record better music and film and all this other stuff is there now this like statement of intent nowadays that is like yes you might be DIY punk but you know you need to have a video nowadays and you need to have your sound really good like well I, I, su- not, I but, suppose but well, I think it, I feel like it's going a bit that way but I suppose as well you could argue from another perspective is that it's incredibly affordable to make something very professional that is true and so that's again going back to both the music uh, episode that we did about this and also the the press episode yeah. about this it used to be extremely um expensive to even photocopy a fanzine yeah. like do a bunch of copies That's why of people fanzine. Would be like doing it at work or like yeah. breaking in places let alone releasing like a professional book well yeah. now it isn't that expensive to do this stuff mm. because technology is has made it much more affordable yeah. and i think in a lot of ways that's true of both music and film yeah going yeah. forward because uh, it's not necessarily that there's pressure on somebody to make something really professional looking. It's that if you went out and bought a bog standard video camera, yeah, it's not going to look like a camcorder. It's yeah, going to look like default. what you think of as a, quite a professional thing. I yeah, reckon. no, that's true. That is true. But yeah, so we're going to stay away a little bit from music videos, I mm-hmm. think, generally. But we're going to just talk about a handful of interesting filmmakers and films. Yeah. And then we're going to try and conclude this entire lo-fi discussion that we've been having over the past couple of months at this point. (laughs) But hopefully we'll be able to describe why we think these people are lo-fi filmmakers and not just low-budget filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And that's a big uh, issue here for me, trying to work out what to choose and like i say we use the punk adjacent thing as kind of yeah. quite an important aspect I, I think, think i think i asked this question to you when we were talking about it like what's the difference between a filmmaker's first foray into film with just working with what they got and people who make lo-fi films well i think that's a really interesting uh, aspect of this and i think this speaks of diy culture in general mm. and that is that it's about intent So there is no difference, practically speaking. There is zero difference about any of the films that we're about to talk about. And let's just say, I don't know, probably even like Martin Scorsese's student film or something or whatever. I don't know, pick pick whatever. There's certainly no no difference between this and, let's say, Clerks, the Kevin Smith film that he made with um, a load of credit cards. Mm -hmm. Because he made that completely independently. But I suppose the difference is intent. And this is where I think the DIY scene is an incredibly empowering place. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in a band and you're a punk band, you're immediately just a punk band, right? This has changed a little bit over time, but certainly in my day, there was a lot of bands who were like, we're an unsigned band. 
Mm. And so your intent is different and your expectations on yourself are different. So if you're yeah. a punk band, you, you after being together for a month, you're booking a tour. Yeah. Or you're trying to record a record. Yeah. Whereas if you're an unsigned band, then your expectations become lower and you're kind of operating in a completely different sphere. Yeah. And I think why that is good, it's almost like a positive thinking thing. I think for punk bands, it frees you up. It makes you think from day one, and this isn't always a good thing because if yeah. you're a douchebag, this is a bad thing. Yeah. But it, free, it you immediately think, well, I'm... I can do what I want. I'm just as good as everybody else. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, you can accept, well, that band's been together for 10 years and they're better musicians than us yeah. or whatever. But fundamentally, everyone's just on an immediate level pegging. Yeah, just you like, I've started a band. And yeah. yeah, and so now now I'm doing all the things that all the other bands do. Here's yeah. a, you know, we've you, your band played uh, three songs at yeah. one gig and you'd release a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And it was successful, Yeah, you know? So no, it, I was about to say, we're complete proof of that. <laughs> Just fucking do it, why not? But it's but I think that's a really good aspect of the punk scene. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I do think that modern culture has kind of caught up with that. I don't think there's that much difference probably between that. I don't think many bands mm-hmm. would consider themselves an unsigned band anymore because signing doesn't really exist in the way that it once did so therefore yeah. i think an awful lot of and maybe it's just because a lot of these bands that i'm going to describe as indie or pop or whatever they actually probably think that they're a punk band but i think there's a lot of bands that they, that's how everybody operates now and some of that's about affordability yeah it's affordable to maybe not release a record i mean vinyl is is not easy but you can put out a cassette and it can look pretty professional. Yeah. Everything or you looks can get professional. Get music online now, where it? people. Yeah, would, you can be on Spotify for that, like yeah. thirty quid or something. Exactly. If you, you know, so you, yeah, and in that respect, you are literally you and you two are both on Spotify. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you've you go. got it's an equal. Everyone's on Bandcamp. Yeah. It's just that you're on an equal pegging in in the world now. So yeah. I think maybe this is less important now than it was before. But I do think that that's probably the difference, and certainly the difference between what I'm going to consider a lo-fi film yeah. and what is just, like you say, millions and millions of student films yeah. and, and low-budget films that are just made by people because that's how films get made in the first instance. I mean, how do you learn how to make a film? Yeah, and I guess know? the difference between learning... Well, How do you become Martin Scorsese? Exactly. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> Intense. That's an obscure reference. If anyone got that one, shamsityroses.gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, so we're using the punk adjacent thing probably to really push it, but I think it punk would adjacent be... adjacent, intent. Yeah. It would be rude not to begin this conversation by mm-hmm. bringing up John Waters. Of course. Everyone must know who John Waters is, so we're not going to talk about him too much. And if you don't, please go educate yourself now. He's going to die in the next 10 years. He's yeah. an old man, and he's so beautiful. Yeah. He's a wonderful human being. He's making a new film, too. He hasn't he made is. a film for years. Yes. Uh, but John Waters, I think, is probably a big influence on a lot of this stuff because he was completely independent. And whilst he was not a punk as such, I will say that he, Desperate Living, uh, mm-hmm. which is one of his early films, was originally called Punk Story. Yeah. And I do think that if you look back over the history of kind of how John Waters made his film, which was very collaborative, mm-hmm. he had a little group of, of weirdos who yeah. used to just get together. They were all queer and they were all amazing and they were all talented and in various yeah. different ways. And while some of them 
turned out to be good actors, none of them were actors. They were just yeah. his mates that he was like, please be in my film. So I think whilst John Waters probably fits more so into the category of just like he was a filmmaker that started off with no budget because of yeah. course because that's how you have to start um i do think that john waters influenced a lot of this stuff yeah and i think he aimed for a certain low budget style for a long time yeah until until he was able to make feature films but i think he he did a really good job of working with what he had and yeah, making it interesting yeah. and and I think also he directly influenced the style of a lot of the stuff that we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about. And the first one of those I want to bring up is this guy called Dave Markey, mm-hmm. who was around the SST camp. He was friends with Black Flag. He was in a band called Painted Willie that you might have heard of. He toured with Black Flag. He did a lot of touring with a lot of those bands from the a very early California hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. But he also made films. And he made a couple of documentaries. There's a really great one called Reality 86, which is on YouTube. And uh, we might have talked about before, but it's following Black Flag on their last tour. Okay. And it is incredible. It's very low budget. It's literally just like fly on the wall stuff of just seeing Black Flag on tour. And uh, I don't think it's that well known. Okay. But um, it's definitely worth seeing. Go watch it. He made another one. (laughs) He made another one called the Slog Movie, which is a little bit more just like random LA punk bands from the time. Mm. It's incredibly low budget. The sound doesn't sync up with the with the picture, but it's still well worth watching because it takes you into all of those LA punk clubs that you've probably read about and stuff. But he also made narrative films. Yeah. And the first one was called Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, mm-hmm. which is not an easy watch. It's also on YouTube. But is he, that one out of sync? It is out of sync or more or less out of sync. Yeah. Um, it's all, yeah, it was recorded completely without sound and then they added everything. Oh, so they overdubbed absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah. But they also did that a little bit, but not so much in his second film, which is the one that we watch, <laughs> which is called Love Dolls Superstar. Now, the aim of both of these films yeah. is about an all-girl punk band starting up. Yeah. And... The, in the first one, they end up murdering someone. Mm-hmm. And so in the second film, which we watched, which is fucking amazing. So good. And it's also, on, it's so it's also good. on YouTube, and I would really tell you to watch it. It's kind of, well, it's sort of this whole mixed bag of different shit, to be honest. But it's kind of about them getting back together as a band. Yeah. Uh, but the mother of the person that they killed wants to kill them. And, and just loads one of, of weird them has started happens. a religious cult similar to like Charles Manson. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different ideas in it it stars yeah. both brothers from Red Cross who are two of the most who, fantastic oh. human beings in the entire world <laughs> they're so good they're actually brilliant actors they're the only <laughs> ones in it that really well I would say quite a few of the people in it seem like they can act but you can tell that they're just random people that Dave Markey must know yeah. I can't imagine any of them are actors by trade but we're not going to review these films just to say but I, I just wanted to say like, what was it about this film that you enjoyed well I guess I came at it with an extraordinarily low expectation because I was like, it's just people messing around in a film. But actually, it has a really quite clear narrative. And it's just a bit joyous to watch people who you're not convinced are actors having what looks like just the best time. Because some of them are very clearly like they are musicians that have been fed some lines or learnt some lines and I just love seeing people doing something for the pure joy of it Mm. and that's what I got from this like it was definitely people there was no reason to do it other than pure creativity and and there were so many different people in it that you just know he must have just been like look I need people in this film let's get all my mates to just 
learn lines and all, all his mates and, 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 and Jello Biafra and Jello Biafra of course <laughs> I just think what fun that must have been like if you think about nowadays if you and all your friends were like fuck it should we put on a panto or a play and you, all your friends who are awkward or weird or don't normally talk in front of people would all have to all of a sudden learn lines and yeah. be a part of it and interact with each other in, in a way that you don't normally do I think it'd just be really it's just really fun it reminds you of like school playtime yeah where yeah. none of you necessarily want to grow up to be actors but you all have to do it all of a sudden Thank and you. that's what I kind of felt from this some people obviously are really good at it but I lived I lived for the people that were just like just had to do their line yeah. had to do their bit but they're obviously friends with the people that are there in that context it almost feels a little bit like the cacophony society or something where it's just mm. a bunch of a odd people yeah doing something for no reason whatsoever i mean there was a reason for this obviously because they wanted to make a film at the yeah. end of it but doing doing something that really is just it's adult play yeah adult play is yeah. exactly that i think one of the other things to say about it which i love and i think probably a lot of people would get a lot out of mm. is actually not so much the film as a film i.e the story or the narrative or the acting even yeah but more seeing loads of sites from like la yeah in 1980 i think it's 80 or 81 or whatever i don't yeah. know i think it was filmed over a long period of time and it's like you're literally seeing all the places again you know if you read any biographies of black flag or you know you've read american hardcore or whatever there's so much written about these places in california and yeah. so then to just have this little window yeah. into those worlds and it is like quite badly uh, produced and the camera that they're using, I'm, I don't know the technical aspects, so we're not going to get into technical aspects, yeah. but I'm guessing it was more or less just the equivalent of like a camcorder, but just a film one. Mm. Isn't great, but there's some, it captures something so genuine, yeah, so absolute that like, I don't know, I just felt like I was in Hollywood in 1980 with a load of punks. Yeah. Uh, including like some punks that I knew of or like were really, you know, people that, whose bands I like. And yeah. Stuff. And in a way that's true of all of his movies and potentially true of all of these movies that we're going to be talking about is that they just capture something mm. of the very time that they were made in a way that I think often sometimes feature films do do that. But like a more professionally made film yeah. would capture a version of L.A., there would be like set dresses or there would be there would be yeah. someone there would be various decisions that are made to say we want LA to look like this. We want this setting to look in a certain way and we want to get this message across to the yeah. viewer. Whereas this didn't it couldn't have any of that. So as a result, it was just someone on the street in LA filming his mates yeah. making a film it's a bit like the difference between someone who's got a professional camera that can digitally enhance a, a picture of something and someone who's got a um disposable camera and you don't mm. know what it looks like until you get it back from the the shop those camera pictures are going to say a lot more about the time yeah and place yeah. may not describe the area as nicely but it'll just show you such an honest representation of it than Which, a, a digitally enhanced or anything like you say set dressed or um, professionally done in any way and it's something that almost can't happen now mm. that's a bit overly dramatic but the reason I say that is because our phones make everything look better than they actually yeah. look because they're really good because yeah. technology has got to the point where it's almost quite difficult to take a bad photo I mean I've managed it at gigs <laughs> I've given up taking any photos of anybody I, but it is almost difficult to, to, yeah. to you couldn't have this same experience now if we ran out onto the streets of Hastings uh, which we almost did the other night to make this yeah. haste video you can't capture it as perfectly as this 
has captured yeah. L.A. in whatever year it was made. Yeah. Just because, and it's very subtle, and it's not, maybe not even not important, but just because like ev- everything looks better. You know, the lines are cleaner. Mm. The lighting is fixed by the camera. And even more so if you then start fucking around with it. And if we want to, you know, take it to the nth degree, you know, selfies on Instagram, aren't they don't really look like your face. I mean, it even tells you what filter you, you're well, using. Yeah, well, yeah, your camera can make you look amazing. And then on top of that, you yeah, you put loads of filters on it and you can fuck around with it mm. and to sort of more or less airbrush it. And so in a way, we're moving into this time where every time we capture life, it's not really real life. Oh, gosh. It's like this weird version of life. And then because we spend so much time looking at this version of life, that becomes reality. Metamodern. Is well, it no, it's not really no, metamodern. Metaverse. I don't know what it is. It's just depressing, <laughs> I think. It's just that, you know, you like colours in real life don't look good anymore because you're used to colours being much better than they are when you look at them on your Do phone. Do you know what? That's become an issue in things like the tattooing world. Of course. Because people are doing these crazy filters on their... Uh, some people do crazy filters on their, like, work to put online and then people are getting tattooed and wondering why it's not as bright. Yeah. It's like, fuck, this, the world's gone mad. But I'll tell you what was slightly too bright... <laughs> moving on to the next film was a, a film that was made by i don't know if anybody i was so surprised to find this out a little while ago and this blew my mind raymond pettibon <laughs> who you will all know because he did all of black flags artwork mm-hmm. and is now an extremely well-regarded visual artist yeah but everyone knows raymond pettibon greg ginn's brother greg ginn's obviously a bit problematic but you know one of the greatest guitar players of all time and he's got a nice brother he has got a nice brother. <laughs> and Raymond Pettibon, in the late 80s, made a bunch of films. Didn't he just? And they starred people like Mike Watt of the Minutemen. Glorious Mike Watt. Various other people, again. And so this was very similar to the Dave Markey stuff. It's all set in LA. It's all very much from the same place, really. You know, it's from the kind of... It's from SST Records to some extent. Yeah. Um, but Raymond Pettibon... I don't know how the fuck to describe his film. So we, we <laughs> he made a, he made a film called Weathermen '69, which is about the Weathermen. Which one day I think we're going to do an episode about the Weathermen because it's an incredibly uh, interesting subject. Mm-hmm. But we won't deal with it now. But the one that we watched is called Sir Drone. Yeah, it stars Mike Watt and someone else who's not in a band, but I presume he must have been in a, a band. But he's not in any band. I don't know, that you it wasn't obvious. <laughs> and it's more or less just it's made on a camcorder. Everything is so bright. It must just be yeah. the Californian sun like coming through the window through the of everything. Yeah. They don't bother to do things like shut windows. So that when the when traffic goes by <laughs> outside, you suddenly can't hear I half think a lorry line. pulls up at some point and you can just hear... <laughs> I was like, well, they're just trying to do their lines. How would you describe the style of this film, George? Oh, my goodness. So whereas the other one had a free-flowing narrative, and actually, in fairness... This one did have a story, kind of. I mean, it's just about two people trying to start a band. And yeah. at some point, a third person gets involved and sings. And at some point, a girl is involved and claims she likes one, actually likes the other and ends up with the third. But that's just kind of very much background story. 
in the other film we watched, in the Dave Markey film, people learnt their lines. <laughs> in this film, the lines are written on paper off off camera. <laughs> and so you can just see, often it's scenes with just Mike Watt and the other guy talking. And they're looking at each other every now and then. And then they're just looking to the side, reading their lines and looking back at them. And sometimes they don't break from looking at their lines. They're just both staring into the middle distance, I, reading off paper. See, I really think that's a stylistic choice as well. <gasps> oh, so I like to begin, to, when I first watched this, to begin with, I was like, oh my God. I mean, for a lot of reasons, I was like, oh my God, I don't think I can sit through this. This is completely impossible to watch. But after about five minutes, I got really into the feel of it. Yeah. And I felt a little bit like that whole thing of them reading lines almost became part of... Because it's a funny film. It is. I would say, in fact, fuck it. It's not a funny... It's a hilarious film. I think it's genius. Like the... (laughs) I don't even want to call it a script because I'm pretty sure there's one point that Raymond Pettibon is in this film towards the end and they're in the back of a club somewhere. Most of it is set in this one apartment. Yeah. But they do this one scene where they, where yeah, this really brightly lit room. But there's one scene where they're in a club and they're obviously all pissed and they're getting pissed in this scene. And I'm almost 100% sure that when they then come back, and so the idea is they're in this club, they're having this conversation and then they come back to the flat Mm. that they're all in. I'm pretty sure that they're all still pissed. And so I think that they did those things on the same night. But the funny thing is, is because Raymond Pettibon has been in the scene and is pissed, you can then notice that his camera, because he's the one holding the camera, is clearly pissed. (laughs) Like the actual camera itself, you don't see him again. He's just holding the camera. It's totally pissed. And all of the fucking, like, all of the shots are all off-center and (laughs) weird. And sometimes I'm pretty sure he, like, falls over at one point holding it and stuff. I don't know. I can't. I can't recommend this film enough. It on the one beautiful. hand, but it's it's on YouTube again. Sir Drone. <laughs> it is, in a lot of ways, it's very subtle humour. It's kind of dark. It's kind of black humour. Sometimes you don't even notice that it is humour. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair to say. It's one of the worst made films ever. But yeah. I do, but I do think probably because Raymond Pettibon is bona fide. Oh, yeah, you know, I think he's a genius, pretty much. He's and he's obviously got a really artistic mind. Yeah, he's like there is. I don't know. There is something about it where it's quite clever sometimes. Yeah, I mean, he like he's obviously <laughs> it will have like complete babble, and then he's obviously got like a point. So one of them will just say out of character and out of nowhere, like a really like poignant statement, and yeah. they'll just carry on. Yeah, but I do think also. Um, because you do see some of the writing on bits of paper, like yeah. scattered on the floor at certain <laughs> points. I do think that he must have just written it as he went along. I and that's, that's why true, they yeah. didn't know any words. Because he probably said to these two, look, we've got four days. Do you want to just make this film with me? And he just probably wrote, yeah, yeah, yeah. This next scene will be you two have this conversation. Read this conversation at each other. But what I really love about that, is, again, it's people that are clearly just mates. Mike mm. Watt is the bassist of the Minutemen. He is not an actor. God knows who the other two are. <laughs> And it's clearly again, it's adult play. It's these people. He's just gone. Do you want, fuck it? Do you want to be? Do you want to make this silly film with me? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's clear out my apartment. Let's put a mattress on the floor. And uh, what's it going to be about? You're in a band. Cool. Can you play guitar? Well, clearly not. I'm just going to hammer it every now and then. <laughs> Next to Mike Watt, who's the most incredible bassist in the world, you're going to have to dumb it down. And then yeah, they're just fucking about. I just, I just love it. It's, it's it looks like pure chaos. Um, I think my favourite part in this film is where there's one point where Mike Watt, com- just completely out of the blue for no reason, just opens the window of their apartment and shouts out, Poser! And then slams the window. And the guy said, who was that? And Mike Watt says, I don't know, just some poser. 
<laughs> so if that sounds like humour to you, because I don't think that's for everyone, and you probably have got to see it in the context of the film, it's kind of that's kind. Of, I think that probably sums it up in a way. Also, if you like bloopers, because the other thing is they're just they're just <laughs> laughing at each other the entire time yeah, yeah. because it is just people being silly. And if you like people break, I mean they're never in character. But if you like people breaking character, like it's pretty much an hour of that. But here's something that I do think is slightly different, and this might be a generational thing to some extent is that whilst it is terribly made and it is badly acted, they are all trying. Like, the the one thing that I love about this film, and to some extent I think the Dave Markey film as well, and maybe all of this stuff, is that they're really trying. It's not like they're being sarcastic. They're not being ironic. They're not... It's not an inside joke as such. They are trying to be funny, but they're actually genuinely trying to be funny in the context of the film. It's not nudge, nudge, wink, wink, wink in the sort of background. And I think... I do think that's a di- that's a generational difference. That's like Generation X versus Millennials. Like Millennials is much more, and it is that moving into that meta modern thing. It's much more kind of like everyone's in on the joke. Yeah, you know, and I what's guess- the you know uh, like like Scream in comparison to all other horror movies? It's like, well, this is a horror movie about horror movies. Yeah, it's not just here's a horror movie where a load of horrible things happen. You yeah. know, and I think that's maybe where in the sort of land of YouTube and social media which we'll obviously get onto later mm-hmm. I suppose that's maybe something different as well I think if we made a movie now in the same way that Raymond Pettibon did partly it wouldn't be as good because we're not fucking Raymond Pettibon but no. also <laughs> I don't think you'd be able to do it in this day and age with people of our age where there isn't a degree of like sarcasm to it people wouldn't come in and do it seriously yeah, but badly People don't do. If someone yeah. finds out they're bad at something, they, they tend just to just not do it. Do it and, yeah, you know? that's what I mean. There's, that's the really playful. Has something? Gosh, is this something to be said for society? Have we lost adult play? Have we lost the ability to laugh at ourselves? And well, yeah. no, I think we've well, gained the ability to laugh at ourselves, but in so an ironic so, way, yeah. not in a kind of, not in a kind of genuine way. It's there's a bit a, like there's when, a separation, though. Like. Well, it's a bit like um, when people do sports days as adults. Okay. Like you, tr- you, you're not a professional athlete, but all of a sudden you try quite hard at a thing that you don't know how to do, and it's fun. But I think people wouldn't do the same in, like you say, acting because they wouldn't try very hard. They'd be deliberately, like you say, deliberately shit at it. I think if most, if I think most people of our age, if they went and did an adult sports day. They would be like, oh, it's really funny, isn't it? Look how bad I am at carrying an egg. Oh, I don't know. Some people wouldn't be. Some people would take it more seriously. Yeah. But I suppose there's, a, yeah, maybe yeah, you, it's I the think same though. There's something, maybe it's like, like you say, we've, we we can laugh at ourselves more, but now we do things for irony and deliberately trying to be funny rather than just trying. Yeah. But actually just trying's fun. Yeah, totally. We should try more. Yeah. Do things more. I without agree. Without fear. Well, you should, but I think part of that, and this is where it's a good thing, a lot of this is about not putting pressure on people and stuff like that, isn't it? So a lot of, in in our modern world, it's very important to feel like comfortable in the thing that you're doing. Yeah. So therefore, you're not pushed. If you join a band, your bandmates aren't going to be like, you've got to do that better. They're going to be like, oh, I hope that's all right. I hope you're all right. And I think that's a really good thing about our generation. Yeah. I think it's, I think, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is it doesn't necessarily... There is something fun. There is something fun about taking something extremely seriously and really trying at it and seeing what comes out the other end, even if it's not that good in in a lot Mm. of ways. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely the impression I got out of the two films that we watched, that Dave Markey one and Raymond Pettibon film, is it was. It was people that 
you know as musicians and or clearly not actors really trying yeah because you know especially the dave markey one like they learned lines people had to try really hard at something that isn't their thing and there yeah. must have been like our mates made a film let's try really hard for him yeah let's try and actually do a good job of this acting thing even though we're not actors and what comes out of it is really good because you can see people's efforts well talking about trying people Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would like to talk a little bit, although I'll be brief, about the cinema of transgression. Okay. Which is very similar to Dave Markey era. It's from the sort of early 80s. But in, yeah. instead of being in California, it was in New York. New York. And the cinema of transgression is kind of a nonsense because it's something a filmmaker called Nick Zed made up the title Cinema of Transgression in a magazine yeah. and started writing about a small group of filmmakers in New York who were all based around the sort of punk scene mm. there. But he talked about it and gave them this name and talked it up as this like amazing artistic movement. And yeah. as a result of that, a lot of these filmmakers got quite popular. Right. Um, but, but it, it was kind of not really a thing that It existed. wasn't really a thing. It was just a few people that all lived on the Lower East Side. So if you know, you know, if you know history about like New York hardcore and stuff like the early New York hardcore, they all lived on the Lower East Side. It was mm. this like really dangerous place that everyone lived in these burnt out buildings and all mm. that sort of stuff. And these these lot were like art students that were kind of doing the same thing at the same time. Lydia Lunch played a big part in okay. the cinema of transgression and she obviously went on to have a lot more fame. And I would say that it kind of uh, this kind of it's a complicated story which we might cover i think in a longer episode it kind of came out of the no wave music mm. scene but there was also a no wave film scene right so it was kind of separate to that but similar and there was a lot of, we can't really go into the oh, full okay. story about it but at some point i think we should talk about no wave because it's really interesting but the cinema of transgression there was a lot of filmmakers that got caught up in it but the two main ones are richard kern and nick zed mm-hmm. and both of them made films richard kern has gone on to quite a lot of notoriety as a photographer okay. and has also made a lot of music videos he's definitely made some for sonic youth i have a feeling he might have made one for nirvana like he had a period where he was making oh, okay. quite big uh, music videos but his short films are, and we watched, so I showed you some clips from some of <laughs> we them. We tried. <laughs> um, his short films are, well, the ones that are on YouTube are kind of easier to watch, if anything. A lot of Richard Kern's films, they come across almost like music videos because mm. they tend to be short and they're often just like a lot of them are kind of sadomasochist fantasies yeah. that go on for about five minutes. Some of them are just him masturbating. Like, if you like erect penises, <laughs> then I would uh, I would say watch some Richard Kern films, but you won't find them on YouTube. But he, <laughs> but the weird thing about it was, in the context of now, they all seem completely pointless because right. a lot of them are just like a like a music video, and and or some of the other ones are maybe not like to describe them as porn would be pushing it because okay. they're definitely not for titillation, but. In a way, they are just a little bit like something you would probably find on Pornhub if you looked in the right place. Okay. Uh, or the wrong place, actually. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a great cock. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Kern, not a great cock. <laughs> but uh, actually, that's not true. I've completely, I said that for comedic value. He's got a ginormous penis for oh, a little dear. man. Well, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Thus, he's masturbating on film with it. Point being that he made these things in a time where no one else was really making them. So he had quite a big influence on what would become fairly normal in music videos in the 90s. Oh, There's okay. a reason why people, you know, got him to film their videos. Yeah. 
quite an interesting man. Uh, his films, as all of the cinema transgression films, are like extremely nihilistic. He doesn't like human beings very much, mm-hmm. I would suggest. And they, 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 all of them, and this is one of the things about the cinema of transgression, and I'm simplifying it so much, um, is that they were just trying to push people's buttons. Okay. In a way that, and there's not, there's not anything like dodgy in any of them particularly, but in a way that people just wouldn't now. In we've talked about this before, this kind of idea of from the kind of alternative culture of the eighties and maybe the early nineties of like mm. almost like the the um, Sex Pistols wearing a swash sticker. That yeah. kind of thing where it's like we're trying to we're trying to like yeah. get at normal people, so we're yeah, just going to put on. Yeah, the intent is to to face you with something and yeah. make you have a reaction to it, but it's not that we have the intent behind it. We're yeah, just, we're just presenting something that's obviously offensive to yeah. see what you do. Uh, yeah, like shock. Yeah, uh, but shock, uh, I don't think is accepted in our modern society, and no, for good reasons. I'm yeah, we're expected to know better um, generally. Nick Zed, on the other hand, made some very unusual films. I discovered yesterday, because we were looking up his films, mm-hmm. and you looked on the internet, that he's just died, apparently. Which he I died earlier actually, this year. I had no yeah. idea about whatsoever. He had all of the liver problems. He made a film called War is Just Menstrual Envy. I think I added the just, but I do think Ooh. that that's a wonderful name for a film. Ooh. His films are very hard to watch, but they're very interesting. He's one of those filmmakers, and this is probably true of uh, Richard Kern as well. If you see a still from one of his films and you see someone dressed up in this weird outfit and in this weird place, you'd be like, I really want to watch that film. Yeah. But the actual experience of watching them is tough. It's hard. Okay. Yeah, they're really, really low budget. They're all made on, I think, super eight millimeter mm-hmm. and again i no technical understanding but i think that is more or less just a film camcorder yeah just so they had no it. sound and stuff so then the sound would be added on afterwards but the story is interesting there's a book about it that's just called the cinema of the transgression uh, which i've got which is uh, a really interesting read there's some really unusual people that got involved in it there's mm. a, a girl called lung leg i mean it's not lung a birth leg. name i don't think <laughs> Uh, she was <laughs> Lungleg was in one of the oh, films Lungy. that we watched. She was the one who was telling her mother about why she didn't like her. Oh, okay. And it felt yeah, very yeah. much like a sixth form film with sixth form poetry. Yeah. In it. And I would say all of this stuff does. But one of his films is just her eating a worm for ages. <laughs> so, oh, Lungy, sort of, don't eat that worm. They were They were very much like artists, but they did come out of punk. None of them were really in bands, but there is a lot of like Richard Hell p- p- pops up in a mm. lot of their films okay. and... Some other are people that you would recognise. They the were in the scene. in the right place, right time, and had the friends. Yeah, kind of. of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, just really, I think I think let's finish it there because this list is just going to end up being a list. <laughs> but I did want to also give a quick mention to Bruce LeBruce. Yeah, Bruce LeBruce, we brought up on our fanzine episode, yep, the queer bit. Uh, and he made uh, what was I think the first queercore fanzine. Mm-hmm. He also made a bunch of films, and he is now quite a renowned filmmaker, and he's still making films uh, to this day. And he's made some like bigger budget stuff, mm-hmm. I would say. But Bruce LeBruce made some really challenging films in his early days. Challenging how so? Well, how, how to describe it? I mean, challenging for the time probably just because they had like gay sex in them. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, one of them is more or less a pornography, I think, which I haven't seen that one. But the other ones have like, I believe, little elements of pornography in okay. them. Okay. But it wasn't really that. It was just that they were made in, I guess, like the late 80s. Operation Ivy are in his first film. Aww. So that would suggest that it was like 87, 88 or yeah. something. Sorry, they're not in it. A song is in it. One of them is a very low budget film, which is called um, No Skin Off My Ass. 
<laughs> and it's about him. You say that so often. <laughs> it's about it's about him falling in love with a Nazi skinhead, and then trying to woo the Nazi skinhead, and then eventually having sex with the Nazi skinhead. Wow, and that's kind of it, really. But there's kind of a lot more to it. But there's a lot of metaphors about you know the Nazis in the punk scene and mm-hmm. stuff going on in that film. And then the other one is called Hustler White, and Hustler White definitely got much more of a budget. It's set in California. And it's kind of just about, like, the gay scene in California. Okay. And it, the idea of it is that Bruce LeBruce plays this reporter who kind of comes and sort of checks out all of the haunts mm-hmm. around town. And, of course, this is still in a time where, you know, homophobia is rife and stuff. So that's kind of why I say it's challenging. But also, on top of that, there is one scene where, um, and it's blurred out in the version that I've seen, but there's one version where somebody fucks someone in the ass with their stump of their leg because they've had their foot removed. Oh. That's Ron Athey is in it, and Ron Athey is this kind of like body modification guy. We've talked about him on this podcast before, I think. But it's again, it's, it's kind of like just another like weird little window into this world. Yeah, you know, I don't think there was anyone else making films like that at the time, so it's kind of an interesting little postcard uh, from yeah. from gay LA. So I guess concluding this lo-fi film part, kind of coming back to what we mentioned at the beginning in the day and age of tiktok instagram reels people being able to just put things on the internet nearly willy nowadays i guess what would be the difference the main differences between lo-fi filmmaking and the ability to just post your every thought on (laughs) social media at any time with a filter on I'm I'm hamming it up quite badly here, maybe giving my opinion on it. But Um, I suppose there's two answers to it. One is that there is no difference. Like maybe it's better to use like YouTubers. That's true. Vloggers. Vloggers. That's a thing now, isn't it? I mean, maybe that's a that's a better comparison because it's specifically filmed. So whereas, like, I mean, it is mad to think that that you can make a reel where you're literally that is editing a film yeah making a reel yeah you know every yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and everybody under the a certain age slapping bits together can do that with without even thinking about it yeah and so that is kind of crazy thing but just looking at yeah the sort of youtuber phenomenon mm. there isn't really a difference fundamentally i think i'm sure there are youtubers that yeah. are very professional and stuff but talking about like just knobs yeah making films and so I suppose it comes. It may come back to intention again. Well, I was going to say, it's this kind of... I don't know if it's a spectrum or a, a scales. I don't know. But it's something between accessibility yeah. and intent. Yeah. Because everything is... When you've kind of said this so many times over the last three episodes, that our accessibility to things of better quality... Yeah is there now so everyone's got better access to um when it was the small print people can get quite professionally made looking books made now um with music if you're recording it's a bit easier to get access to and it's more affordable to get access to better recording equipment and again with filming everyone's got a perfectly good camera on the phone nowadays and people can make you know mini films on instagram so i guess accessibility means that everyone could have access to a fairly high quality version of doing it themselves well considerably high quality higher quality than the things we've talked oh gosh than the 70s and 80s and everything we've talked about but you're right then it's this intent behind it it's like is your intent to 
continue doing this and get better equipment and just be the like try and make feature length films and make ridiculously well-made music or is your intent actually to strip it back or to deliberately use a certain piece of equipment because that's going to be more fun or you want a certain sound or are you in a film because you're having fun with your friends um are you writing something because you want it to get to people of a particular group or you want to target a particular audience or are you just looking to get a bestseller out uh, I mean, I, well, there's so many different points there. I suppose one uh, thing to say is that, and this is neither, a, this is just a sort of fact, mm-hmm. there's so much of everything available. Yeah. So, you know, YouTube is a nightmare in that context. Mm. I mean, there's just, there's, there is an un, you can't even begin to imagine the amount of things that are on YouTube, yeah. and let alone track them down. So, so if you're like a YouTuber, the one of the problems is is that your what you're doing means much less. So mm-hmm. I suppose looking at these people that were making these films, one of them might have just been him having a wank, and one of them might have just been a music video for his for his band. Uh, yeah. Dave Markey made a a music video for Slip It In for the Black Flag song, which is really weird to watch because it's just Black Flag had a music video, and I don't mm. think anyone really knows about that. Yeah. Um, but there was worth in it because there was so much less of it, I suppose. So when I'm saying, like, oh, it was so lovely to be able to see California in 1980. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, now you, there is just not that. If I want to go and see what 2019 looked like mm-hmm. in Hastings, well, there would be an unsurmountable amount of media evidence of Hastings in 2019 yeah. through Instagram, through YouTube, through yeah. through TikTok or whatever. And so I suppose it means that it's not worth as much, but there's not anything that you can do about that. No. And I think that is the other point, and it is a completely pointless point to make because because it's <laughs> I think not you should make because it. because nothing's going to happen about you know to change this. But yeah. we never question whether the progression of technology is a good or bad thing. We always just figure something's got better, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Something's got something's Im- improved, so it's good. You know, videos weren't as good as DVDs, so DVDs coming out was a good thing. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that a lot of the films that we were watching on DVD, you could see all the strings attached to the monsters yeah. or all the, you know, how bad the special effects were yeah. in a way that you couldn't see on VHS. And then they brought out Blu-ray, and yeah, now you can see every pixel of the, of, the, of the string or whatever. Yeah. So, and, and that's fine. I'm not saying like, oh, you know, Blu-rays are terrible and we should all watch VHSs, although we did recently buy a VHS player. But anyway, <laughs> um, but, you know, we never we never question that. So we just yeah. always presume that every time the camera on our phone gets better, that's a good yeah. thing. We all must rush out and buy the new Progression iPhone. Progression is good. Uh, but at some, but we never question it in the context of like, well, is it making our life better? Mm-hmm. And maybe it is. A lot of people would say that it is, I think. But, you know, that thing that we talked about before about how photographs are, like, almost too good. They mm-hmm. almost don't look like reality mm-hmm. anymore. Well, they look like reality, but they look like a different, slightly different yeah. cartoonized version of reality. There's something we, missing. We never question whether that's good because all we look at is we take a photograph and then we say, that photograph looks great. Yeah. I've never taken a good photograph before, but I just you took one with this phone thing. and it's really good. And, yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely a problem. And I, And I think... You know, I I have a small story to tell. I think you should tell it. (laughs) There's a man called John Ruskin in the middle 1800s. (laughs) Wow. Okay. That's where this is going. And John Ruskin was somebody... I'm not going to get all of this right. So if you're a historian, please give me a bit of the benefit of the doubt here. 
John Ruskin was somebody who taught art to the working class. Mm -hmm. He was like the first person pretty much to do this. He wrote books that were aimed at like lower class people to teach them how to make art, right? Because up until that point, the only people that ever saw or took part in art, and when I say art here, I'm obviously talking about painting and drawing and stuff. The only people were the very rich, Mm -hmm. right? So John Ruskin wanted all of all of the working classes to be able to to become good at art. And the reason that he did this wasn't necessarily because he thought that there was a load of good artists who could probably make a really good living, but they just happened to be too poor to, you know, have ever been taught it. Yeah. He did it because he believed that art improved our lives yes. and improved the way that we kind of see things. And so his idea was that if you sit down for three hours in front of... I don't know, let's say London Bridge or something. Yeah. If you sit down for three hours in front of London Bridge and you draw it, you have to pay so much attention to London Bridge that you see a load of things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter if your picture at the end of it is any good. What is important is that you've gone through the process of drawing the thing. Yes. And so therefore you've seen a load of stuff that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. Right. And I think this is a beautiful idea. And this is it's brought up in the context, I've read about this in a book about travel, and it's brought up in the context of like how we go to cities and we're told where we should go. The mm-hmm. guidebook says if you go to Paris, you've got yeah. to go to the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe and you've, you've got to go to the Louvre. Or you ask someone this. who's been there before, where did you go? Tell me, I'll go to the same place. Yeah. And the problem with doing that, and I think most people must have felt this at some point, is that when you travel and you go to a city and you try and go and see all of the different things, mm. is that you're kind of disconnected from them and you don't get very much out of them. Yeah. That's not entirely the case. And obviously some things are just beautiful because they're beautiful. I would say, like, when I went to see the Eiffel Tower, just looking at it, I was like, that is amazing. Yeah. But if you know, like, the history of the Eiffel Tower or the history of the Arc de Triomphe, then you appreciate them much more. And I'm mm-hmm. going to go back again. We do this often because I really do want people to listen to it and no one ever has. <laughs> well, that's not quite true. But uh, our magic episode, we talked about like mm-hmm. uh, ancient English magic. And you were saying you were saying at the time, not on the podcast, but you said to me like you wanted to go to all of these places that were like stone circles or like old stone circles yeah. because you'd read about them in the book. And you wanted to go to the British Museum because you'd read about a load of stuff in the British Museum yeah. that we should go and mm-hmm. see. But when we act, by the time we got to the British Museum, it was months after you'd read the book, yeah. and we walked around, and it felt I was, it was cool. Like yeah, we were looking at a load of ancient things, but mm. it was like, well, what did you actually want to see? And then when we go and see it, it was like, well, here's a spade from, <laughs> you know, from medieval times or something. Yeah. And it's like, but if you knew the story behind the spade, it becomes yeah. this amazing thing. Yeah, I but, think I think had I gone straight after and been reading about all these things and gone straight there, it's, it's, yeah. it's, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm really connected to this papyrus bit of paper. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and the same goes for stone circles. Like You were talking oh about going God, to a yeah. stone circle in um, Kent somewhere yeah. that was basically just next to a motorway and it was like three little boulders. Yeah. <laughs> and that was all that was left. But of course, if you knew, if you just yeah. read a book about the history of the boulders yeah. and then you went and stood in that place and you could imagine yourself doing all of those things, 100%. then then that's amazing. And the point that I'm making there is really that if you, you if you put the work into something, mm-hmm. you get so much more out of it. The work might even not be that much fun. You might have to read a book that isn't really that interesting to read or watch a load yeah. of documentaries that aren't really that interesting to watch. But if you put that work in, then you appreciate the thing yeah. in front of you so much more. I had an experience of this at university where I did a 
subject called nursing arts and humanities so i have a nursing degree but we did this one-off subject it was run by a bit of an out there professor who had a music therapy degree and it was run by a historian and the point of it was that even though we were doing a nursing degree we should go and learn about everything to do with nursing that wasn't nursing so we got to learn about architecture we got to learn about um we went to the opera and our main assignment had to be that we took something that was nursing related, but we came at it from someone else's speciality. So I looked at a film made by an artist about um, R.D. Lang's house where he held people, uh, took them off their medication, and then he made a film about. Uh, he filmed quite a lot of them, yeah. and someone made a film about it, and I had to do my assignment as if I was a film studies student. Yeah. So I had to learn about film theory. I had to learn about loads of different artistic. Um, elements that I didn't know a thing about and it was my favorite assignment I've ever done the one about film (laughs) that I I was not I was a nursing student but that was just by far and away and it's exactly that because it takes so much more effort to do this one thing that you're not meant to be able to do Mm. that you take you learn so much you take in so much it was by far and away the best grade I've ever gotten and everyone did it people were going to art galleries looking at pictures of um uh, nursing recruitment posters and treating them like pieces of art yeah. and they did not have art backgrounds and they had to learn about all these different artistic things to study it as an art piece not as anything to do with nursing but it's all so cool. but it's interesting as well that that is i bet if we brought up a different subject that you studied at university you probably wouldn't remember even doing it oh god no. so it's something about tapping into that bit of your mind where you're actually engaged yeah learning um and so going back to poor old john ruskin Lovely, John. One of the reasons why he was so keen on um, people taking up art was because it was just at the birth of the camera. And he was really worried that people were going to... That he accepted that human beings, when they see something beautiful, they want to kind of own it in some way. Yeah. And he was really concerned. In the past, it would have been fairly normal for people to have sketched something that they wanted to have yeah. because it was beautiful. But with the advent of the camera... Uh, obviously people could just snap pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we're talking in, in the 1800s, so when I say people could just snap, I mean, it would have been really difficult. Yeah, to bring to, their curtain to, along yeah, exactly. their big box. You know? yeah. But in John Ruskin's time, this was kind of like, that was what he was worried about. Yeah. He was like, people are going to stop looking at the thing that they could get pleasure out of. Yeah. And if you think about, if you bring that forward, of course, the camera took off a great deal. Yeah. So then you, you know, you follow the timeline through. You go to, you know, cameras eventually become this thing that everybody's got. But like you were, you said earlier, like disposable cameras or film cameras or whatever, yeah, have take have moved forward and moved forward and moved forward to the point that now, like I say, you don't even have to look at the screen of your phone, yeah. to get a good picture. Anybody, and I'm not complaining about this. I'm not being an old man and complaining about this, but it is fucking annoying. Mm. But anyway, I'm not being an old man and complaining. <laughs> about this. But you know, how many people do you see at gigs who just shove their arms up in the air yeah. and just click, 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 and yeah. then sometimes hold it there and video it for ages? And I don't know what the fuck they're ever going to do with that video. But anyway, yeah. it's none of my business. <laughs> but point being, you know, you're not even looking at the thing that you're taking mm-hmm. a photograph of. And, of course, you could argue, well, they are looking because they're standing at a gig. They're looking with their eyes and then they're using their phone above. But I would say that when you're taking that photo, you're thinking about the fact that you're taking a photo. You're not immersed in the experience of a gig. Yeah. And I suppose that's kind of where I'm going with that. And I, and I feel like 
just to sort of finish this entire lo-fi culture thing that we've done yeah you could use this i think as a metaphor for all of these things one of the reasons why fanzines were so special in comparison to a blog is because fanzines were fucking hard to do yeah you had to engage in them you had to spend loads of time doing them yeah. and so as a result of engaging them in that way yes the content might be exactly the same the blog might have the same words on it as the fanzine has in it but both the person who made it and I think this comes across to the reader but more importantly just for the person who made it that person's put so much effort into mm. it that they've learned stuff about themselves they've yeah. learned stuff about the own, their own words that they've written in a way yeah. that you just don't if you just slam something on a blog and then for music exactly the same thing you can now I keep saying on your phone, and I think I might be pushing the point now, but mm-hmm. maybe maybe this is to, on your laptop. You can play through any amp that's almost ever been ever existed yeah. in the aeons of time by plugging your guitar into a, a computer, and then the computer can recreate the exact sound of yeah, that amp. Now, it. don't get me wrong, that is amazing, right? That's incredible. And it's yeah. obviously incredibly helpful. And if you're in a band who are trying to sound good, but you don't have a massive studio you're not the rolling stones with yeah. hulk hogan on bass <laughs> then you're then uh, then you know that is amazing let me be clear. i'm not saying that is like really bad or yeah. anything but you don't get you know you don't have to think about that yeah you know you do have to think about it a bit there's a lot of stuff that you can fiddle around with on on you know through the computer so it's not an entirely bad thing but you don't have to think about it anywhere near as much as if you got that amp and got a microphone and fucking moved around the room yeah. and put the microphone in loads of different places and fiddle with all the things. Because you'd really get to know that amp by the you end. You would, yeah, you'd be an absolute expert. And, yeah. and also, you know, I, I know obviously a lot of musicians and I think they all are, certainly in comparison to me, they all are experts in their amp. Mm. So I think most musicians are actually the sort of people that want to do that anyway. Yeah. But a lot of our technology takes that away. And so, again, at the end of the process, you get this thing that might sound better yeah. But that you've gone through less of a journey to get to. Mm. And then, of course, with film, it's kind of the same thing. Again, like that that's the difference to me between a YouTuber that can shove their phone in front of their face and get immediate perfect lighting. Mm-hmm. Not perfect lighting. I know it's more complicated than that. But, you know, get a really good video of themselves. Yeah. In comparison to... Dave Markey with his Super 8 camera running around LA filming his friends. Like, there's a... One takes so much more effort. Yeah. And also, like, money probably has something to do with it as well. You care for it more because you've got to pay for something, you know, whereas now everything is free. And obviously the fact that everything's free is brilliant. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But I suppose maybe what we could all think about doing is turning our brain... I don't know. Can we pretend? Can, can we put more effort into things because we pretend that they're costing us money and pretend that they're really hard work? And would things be better? And would, Made, you know, art, yeah. would art be better but if we also, did that? But also... Why does it have to be money? Why can't it be your own enjoyment be good enough, a reason to do something? Because I think the world that we live in at the minute, we are far more interested in other people's enjoyment of the thing we've done or at least their validation. We're not very keen to check that we've had a nice time. Yeah. So this is what's happened with social media and Instagram. Oh gosh, we do sound like those people. But if you go on holiday, or if you're at a gig, for example, 
that video is taken to put online to prove you had a good time. Yeah, yeah. Why can't you just have the good time? Why does everyone have to know about your good time? And then, if you weren't so worried about people knowing about your good times or worried about what other people think of your music or worried about what other people think of the thing you've done, you might even try something new for yourself. And you might find that you... You know what? When people... When some of the best albums that are ever made... The people will always just be like, well, how did you think to do that? And I'm like, well, it's just the music we want to listen to. Yeah, and if yeah, other people yeah. liked it, that was that was cool. But it's just the thing we wanted to listen to. Or, you know, what made you make that film? Well, it's just something me and my friends thought were funny. But if anyone else liked it, that's cool. And I think that bit's got lost with the advent of everyone being able to see every single thing you do. There's this pressure for it to be good. Or it's not a real pressure, but it's this unsaid... If you're putting something out there, because there's so much out there, it better be good and you better care what other people think of it. And I think the joy of the person making it has been gone. I like, I know a lot of people that make stuff that I don't believe have any joy in the thing that they've made. They are just like, let me get it to review. Let me see what other people think of it. Like, did you enjoy doing that? Do you like what you're doing? But and I does think it matter it's that anyone I, else sees it? I actually think that the social media... Stuff, I don't think this is anybody's fault, by the way. Yeah. I think it's this is social media's fault. I think the problem is, is that most people... Th- and this is so obscure, mm-hmm. but I think that most people would say, yes, I do enjoy doing it. The problem is, is that the illness of social media, the illness of needing likes, the illness of requiring attention, yeah, that is the pro- that is the entire problem. In our, I don't think anybody realizes that that's how what crippling they, that is. Yeah, yeah, and how much that makes you act in certain ways. Yeah. I suppose maybe. Yeah, you know, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's. It's where the it's where the like the really good aspect. Everybody, you know, the internet and the and like the way that we can communicate with each other. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing that you know my band can make a song, mm-hmm. and somebody in we're about to play a band from Argentina. Yeah, it's amazing that we've managed to just hear this band from Argentina in a yeah. second. Yeah, you know, literally just stumbled across them and listened to them. That's incredible. Of course it is, but do, again, I don't know. Does it take something away? I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I think we've concluded it really well. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And on I that hope, note... <laughs> but I hope we've done something good and given you something to think about. I think... Go do something for yourself today. I, Go learn something silly. Go do something silly. Go draw a picture. I seriously think of John Ruskin. Think of two things. I think we've brought them up and one of them was a surprise that it came up, but it is very true. You brought it up. Is... Um, Adult play. Yeah. Adult play and John Ruskin. Those two things, like, I think if we can just put a little bit more of them, and maybe we're just talking about ourselves as well. We yeah. do this thing, and we've done this thing a lot on this lo-fi <laughs> thing, we where we're saying, like, <laughs> oh, you know, these people do this, and all these people yeah. do that. And I don't believe in that. Like, everybody's completely different. Yeah. And I have no fucking idea why other people make music or mm-hmm. why other people do things in certain ways. I'm not, And I'm not claiming to know that either, yeah. and I'm sure you aren't either. No. But I do think that in as a culture, not as individuals, but as a culture, and this is specific, I suppose you could say this is specific to the DIY punk culture, I mm-hmm. don't know, because it's got, you know, there's more expectations on things to be good, yeah. you know, in inverted commas. I think we could all do with just, as a culture, thinking about Lil John Ruskin being worried about the advent of photography. Yeah. And we should be more worried about the advent of just new shit. When AI comes... <laughs> to the point where you don't have to make phone calls anymore. Yeah. That's not a good thing. No. You know, when Facebook came along and meant that you didn't really have to talk to your friends anymore, that's not a good thing. No. It has good aspects to it. There's things about it 
I don't want to ring up the hairdressers and make an say, appointment. The AI people... is brilliant in that way, but but we've lost we've lost something connected. Yeah. We've gained something. We've gained something and we've lost something. Yeah. But it, it's whether, and this is my opinion. This is why I'm a luddite more so, and I'm going to start a cult of luddites. Um, David's luscious luddites. <laughs> <laughs> it's just With because lovely luddite David. <laughs> I think that we are have entered or are about to enter, maybe, it depends on how you look at it, a point whereby technology is going to actively make our life worse. And I yeah. think that, it's happening. you know, sorry, this is getting serious, but the mm-hmm. black clouds that have lived over all of our heads since pretty much COVID, and I think everyone can feel it, mm-hmm. how the world has just felt completely fucking shit. I think it's because of technology. I think it's because of the, the connectivity I think it's because we weren't built to take in this much information and we've yeah. just hit critical mass. Yeah. And it's it's ruining it, us all. It's ruined it's ruining it ruined me. It's ruining me. That's we, why I'm trying to stay off the fucking thing. We need to go back to our tribes like uh, it was Ian Svenoris or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we sing at each other anymore? Why don't we sing Why don't at we other? sing at each other anymore? That's how That's we should leave this. <laughs> That's so good. Can we call this episode Why don't we sing at each other anymore? Yeah, all right, but it's about films. <laughs> Um, so this is that band from Argentina that I mentioned. This is called uh, Sentimiento, and the song is called Milagros. I'm sure I've not said them right. And it's from their new demo, Fatal, which I'm pretty sure I have said right, and it's mm. available via their Bandcamp. So this is Sentimiento with Milagros. <laughs> To our 49th episode of Breakfast Punks. Next episode, 49th. if you can do the maths, will be the 50th. Crazy. <laughs> so normally on the 10th episode, we've been doing Time Cops. Very well loved, well respected, well listened to Time Cop episodes. I Everyone enjoys. I don't know whether we're <laughs> going to get rid of them or not, but for we're the gonna... 50th episode, we're not doing a Time Cop. We're just going to have some sort of 50th episode 
party time. Celebration. It's going to be more. It's going to be more. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be more celebratory than this episode where we basically just said the world has gone to shit. (laughs) But we should sing each other and there is some joy to be found. So maybe we'll just sing at each other for two hours and you'll have to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be joy. Joy for everyone. Basically, what we're trying to say is we haven't worked out what we're going to do for our 50th episode. But it is. We're going to have made 50 podcasts. That's a bit mad. Most, I mean, a good chunk of them are pushing three hours. That is hundreds of hours it's of entertainment. Of, it's a lot of your time we've wasted, <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully you've got something out of it. Should we do a best of? I don't know. Oh, I don't what know. What do you reckon, that? guys? If anyone wants to give us an idea, be willing to message in to shamsetroses at gmail.com or not, and we'll make something up. Who yeah, knows? I It'll think be we'll the probably, same as always. I think either way, we probably won't listen even if you do email us. Yeah. And we'll just make something up anyway. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that chicken nugget challenge. That we've That's been for our Patreon. <laughs> It, by the way, of course, we have a Patreon. Thank you to our patrons always for uh, supporting us. We have promised this chicken nugget episode. Yeah. I still think that's a Patreon exclusive All right, maybe. for when we do it. Yeah. But we'll see. See yeah, how we'll well see. it goes. If we break a world record, then everyone's seeing it. I'm, but, sure, I'm sending it to my mum. But if... Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, we're sending it to the Guinness World Records. Uh, maybe we'll send it to Metallica and see if we can become their chicken nugget eating uh, bass player. <laughs> <laughs> they've got one. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah thank you so much if you would like to support us uh, we would very much appreciate it we do put a lot of work into this mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> if it's not obvious <laughs> um, and uh, you can do at patreon.com forward slash breakfast punks podcast yeah. for three pounds you will get an extra episode we've just done the 11th yeah and so you've up. got like 11 hours worth of breakfast punks that you can now get for the mere price of three pounds there you go <laughs> you can just sign up for treat yourself for christmas and then you know there you go christmas gift you could buy a, a patreon subscription <laughs> i don't think you could actually to be honest it'd be weird why would you i don't know yeah. <laughs> that'd be upsetting for someone <laughs> oh look yeah, here's a podcast you we were going to make t-shirts for christmas and were we? uh, we've haven't um <laughs> So We've if, done really well. If anybody is interested in a Breakfast Punks podcast T-shirt, please do tell us. And if one even person has, one this person is the reason has. that we so thought I think about if we this. get up to like three, and at the minute he's just getting a choppy T-shirt, <laughs> so we need a few more. No, we we might do. We'll see, but I don't we'll think see. it's going to be in time for Christmas. I'm sorry. It most certainly won't be <laughs> I can assure you that uh, you can also just follow us on all the social medias I'm sure you know this we've just moaned about them so I'm not even going to bother but just find Breakfast Punks on whatever you look at we're not on yeah. Facebook we're only on Instagram just look at us for that we have got a TikTok but I've been it's locked two, out of it it's got so. two videos I don't think I can get on it either it's only yeah. got two videos on it anyway <laughs> load of rubbish go out and make a film and then post it on tiktok <laughs> yeah send us your films although that definitely sounds like we're just gonna get porn please don't send us your films um or do i don't know what is a dick pic if it's been filmed uh a dick porn. It's just porn. porn it's just yeah, porn it's just isn't porn isn't it depends if you didn't want it it's harassment well yeah of course but a dick pic is harassment but you don't call it harassment and then everyone knows what you're talking about you say it's a dick pic and then the harassment side of it just, it goes without saying <laughs> yeah I don't know what a video of a mass anyway shamcityroses at gmail.com don't send us for, for <laughs> oh the, not dick pics please for, for the explanation not the <laughs> as always let's round up with one last song this band is called The Leatherettes or The Leatherettes I don't know the garage you've just informed me that it's a garage spelling my understanding is that when people add an extra E on the The it's just I mean it's all just garage rock garage bands. rock bands and I'm pretty sure now I might be wrong the Leatherettes can tell me if they if they if I have got this wrong 
I think that Billy Childish called one of his bands the somethings, okay. and then all of his bands were the somethings. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that people just, you know, Billy Childish is a kind of god to the garage rock scene. I think that it's just a cop, but it's become, you know, like, you know, like Ramones haircuts in the pop punk scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or maybe less so now, like blue jeans and a black t shirt in the pop punk scene and standing in a certain way and having your guitar low. Kind of the is the equivalent of that, but for garage rock and not Ramones core. Well, there you go. But I might be wrong about all of that. (laughs) So, the leatherettes. If you say the correctly, then it is the, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, people don't really know. So, the leatherettes spell their name T H E. I don't think you made that clear. So, we've just talked about something which no one understood. Oh, come on. Everyone knew. Anywho, (laughs) the leatherettes. This song is called Ghost on the Motorway. They are a local band, they are from Hastings. Um, and More this bands is... in Hastings, please. Yes, please. Start they all a band, split up sing and, at each other. And no one formed new bands, so we just have to put on comeback clear every gig. Exactly. Now. And come on, <laughs> come on. We really only have a few songs. Um, this is their new single. It's just released. It's available via the Bandcamp. So that is The Leatherettes with Ghost on the Motorway. We've been Breakfast Punks. Yeah. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Yeah, brother. Peace out. What's the fastest anybody's done on the motorway? <laughs>